This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 9th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from Bristol, Connecticut. I'm doing Baseball Tonight's all week on the network. And Taylor, uh, I got to say I was feeling for you on Sunday. Taylor Schwenk, uh, or a huge Orioles fan. Uh, we've talked about it since you joined the show. Your love for the Orioles. We, you dreamed of a playoff game in Camden Yards. We got two over the weekend. They didn't go so well. They didn't know that it was your birthday. Okay, they they should have won at least one of these games over the weekend to as a gift for your birthday. I know my my birthday, my banged up foot. I really needed some an Orioles W in my life, but it was was not meant to be. Saturday. Really frustrating Sunday. I mean, they played one of the worst games of the entire season, which is a bad timing for where they're at down uh, 0-2 now. Yeah, uh, it 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 was an ugly game on Sunday for sure. And we're going to have a conversation uh, about pitching scripting that teams are doing. We've seen examples of that in this postseason. We've seen uh, examples of it working for teams uh, and examples of it not working for teams. Book Shambi and I are going to have a conversation about that. Where do you fall on that, Taylor? On the idea, we saw last week with the Toronto Blue Jays, they pull out Jose Barrios after 47 pitches when he was pitching great. You know, Bradish starts game one for the Orioles. They pull him out, what seemed to be a scripting moment. And on the flip side, you had Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, kind of riding out Cody Bradford, watching him pitch well and just leaving him out there. That yep, I'm I'm anti scripting man. I mean, it was a perfect, two perfect examples of when it goes wrong, and then you know, Bochi obviously the master. You know, we, I, I was thinking just that as Bradford is cruising through the lineup, I'm like, damn, I, I wish Hyde. You know, Hyde's been pushing all the right buttons all season too. So like, I can't pile on him too hard, but he clearly got in his own head on Saturday, and then on Sunday he tried to reverse course a little bit, but he left Grayson out there for too long. So. Um, I don't know. It's just I, I'm, I'm more of a feel guy, personally. And early on Sunday, the Orioles had a lead against the Texas Rangers when Aaron Hicks came to the plate. Lefty Montgomery on a 2-2. And this one is into right field. He reached out and got it. Mountcastle comes in, flying behind him. Henderson diving in. What a slide. It is 2-0 Orioles. And what an effort by Gunnar Henderson to avoid the tag of Heim. But Grayson Rodriguez, by the way, that was Carl Ravitch. He and Tim Kirkchen have that series on ESPN Radio. Uh, early in the game, Grayson Rodriguez, kind of a weird outing because it wasn't like he was just you know, walking guys in four pitches. He was actually getting ahead in the count, and then he couldn't finish them off. This was the top of the second inning. Here it comes. Delivers this one into left center. It's deep. It's got carry. Mullins can't get there. It hits the ground off the wall. Here comes one. Young being waved in. Here's the throw. He's in there. And Leody Tavares, a double ties the game up. That rally continued. Carter goes. That ball's delivered. A single into left field. Evan Carter hits third base. He will put the brakes on there. How about an 0-2-2 out hit for Jonah Heim that brings in the fifth Ranger run and may have knocked Rodriguez out of the game. And when the Orioles' bullpen came in, the Rangers just kept on scoring. This was the top of the third inning. Mitch Garver at the plate. 3-1. Oh, Oh, that ball is driven to left field. That send Hayes back. That is a grand slam. It's 9-2, and Mitch Garver is slow walking it around the bases in Baltimore. Now, even with a big lead for the Rangers, it didn't necessarily feel safe. Gunnar Henderson did some damage in the bottom of the fifth. Here comes your 3-2. This ball to right, and Henderson watches it. The Oriole fans know it. A massive shot for Gunnar Henderson. A changeup that travels 400 feet. They get the run back on Henderson's homer. In the bottom of the ninth, it was 11-5 Texas, and this happened. And this ball is driven deep to right center field. Did Aaron Hicks just do it? Yes, he did a three-run shot. And just like that, it's 11-8. Hicks have a day, three-run home run to give all the fans that stayed something to cheer about. And the Rangers would hang on. And here comes the pitch from the righty to the lefty Mullen. Swing and a miss, and the Rangers survive and take a commanding two-game-to-none lead as they win it 11-8. 
And along the way, Cody Bradford came out of the Texas bullpen to contribute three and two-thirds excellent innings. Brandon Hyde was asked after the game about Grayson Rodriguez. You know, four walks hurt, but, you know, he had a lot of – he was getting ahead of quite a few hitters there, especially in the in that big inning. Just had a tough time putting guys away. Some one-two counts, some o-two, o-two hits. Um, just for me, a tough time finishing guys and the guys he didn't – he was working behind on the count and the other times with four walks, but uh, it was just a young starter that uh, just didn't have his best stuff from the, from the get-go. In a best-of-five series, the Orioles are down 2-0. Hyde talked about that. You know, our backs are against the wall right now, and, and you know tonight wasn't our best night on the mound. Um, give our guys a lot of credit for being down you know, 9-2 and then kind of giving ourselves a chance a little bit, getting some base runners, scratching away a little bit, but... Um, yeah, we have to go to Texas and play well. We haven't played our best two best games here, and and uh, we've played well on the road all year, so hopefully we can play well on the road. Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, talked about Cody Bradford. Yeah, what a job he did. You know, the uh, momentum was starting to switch there, and he came in and just pounded uh, the strike zone very well, you know, with all his pitches, uh, you know, working all quadrants. You know, he's so prepared. He's now this kid we brought up, and he's handled everything we've thrown at him from starting to use them in uh, relief, high leverage uh, situations. Um, he just handles himself so well for a rookie. It's been impressive. Incredibly, the Rangers have started this postseason with four wins on the road. Bochi talked about that. I talked about this earlier, you know, coming off a tough series there in Seattle, you know, having to fly all the way to Tampa, and the way they responded was. Uh, says a lot about them. You know, their makeup all year we've had to bounce back from some tough losses, injuries, and things like that. And they, they just focus forward. And we had our hands full going down to Tampa and, of course, coming up here playing this really good ball club. So, you know, we're heading home. It seems like we've been on the road a month, but it's going to be good to get home. And, you know, we're, we're off tomorrow, which I think is a needed day off for the guys. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, the games there at home. Mitch Garver was asked about his grand slam. These playoff games, I mean, it's one swing can change it. And I got into a situation there in the hitter's count where I was looking for the fastball and I was able to get it. And I think it's just a a big momentum push for our whole team. And and we needed all those runs today. Game two of the series between the Astros and Twins in Houston. The roof was open and Carlos Correa playing in his former ballpark, of course, uh, formerly played with the Houston Astros, gave the Twins a lead against Framber Valdez in the top of the first. 1-1 pitch, swing and a high fly ball driven in left center field. Alvarez going back to the wall, so is McCormick. They both leap up, it's off the wall. That's going to score a run around and in Polanco and into second base, Correa with a long double. That was up there all night long, and he makes it one to nothing, Minnesota. Dave O'Brien on ESPN Radio. Yeah, Framber Valdez did not have his curveball. That was apparent early on. He also didn't have that nasty sinker that gets him so many ground balls. He tried to throw one to Kyle Farmer. Now Farmer up there, swinging at a high fly ball. That is deep left field. That's way back there. He crushed it. That is gone into the Crawford boxes. A two-run shot, and very quickly it is nothing Minnesota in the second inning. The Twins loaded the bases in the top of the fifth inning against Valdez. Dusty Baker elected to keep Valdez in the game. Carlos Correa did it again. Pitcher rocks and delivers. Swing and a line drive in the left center field. That gets down. In to score Taylor. Solano is in to score as well. The throw comes into second base. Correa stings his old mates. And he has driven in three runs in the ball game, Five to nothing. And here comes Dusty Baker. And now is plenty of runs for Pablo Lopez, who is dominant. He'll set and deal. Swing and a miss. Right past him. He struck him out. So despite the leadoff double, they freeze him right there. Pena does not score. That means we have wrapped up five innings here in game two. It's still Minnesota on top of Houston, five to nothing. And Lopez would finish with seven scoreless innings. The Twins win this game 6-2. to This series one all. After the game, Baker talked about that decision to leave Valdez in the game. Uh, yeah, well, because, you know, like he's the best double play guy I got. You know, he's one of the best double play guys in the league. And, um, you know, Correa's hitting the 30 double plays. And, uh, you know, anybody else that I brought in there in that situation wasn't as good a double play guy as Framber because we've seen Framber, well, he, he threw up a couple 
tonight he threw up a lot of ground balls tonight. And so that was a decision that, you know, I made because I thought he was the best guy to get it out of his own trouble. Well, Daly talked about Pablo Lopez's performance. I think he was completely locked in and not just uh, his intent. And um, uh, he was just so sharp. I mean, the stuff anyone watching can see the stuff is it's exceptional. Um, but I think he had tremendous feel for his pitches today. Um, he was able to get through the first few innings uh, with a relatively low pitch count, which gives you, uh, it, it encourages you, meaning me and Pete Mackey and, you know, us in the dugout, to uh, to want to let him keep going. I mean, I, to me, it was not that difficult of a decision tonight to let Pablo pitch, and uh, he pitched. Former Astros shortstop Carlos Correa, now the twin shortstop, talked about what it means to beat the Astros. Uh, yeah, I would be lying if I said no. You know, obviously it's, it's, it's cool when you do it against your former team. But at the same time, the, the, the ultimate goal is for us to win the series. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm focused on, on bringing a championship to Minnesota. And uh, that's what everybody in our clubhouse is working towards. And uh, we got to still win two more games in this series. It's going to be a good one. We got a great team on the other side. I know what happens when they lose a game. Um, you know, I've been on the other side, and I know the speech and the meetings and all that that happened. Um, so they'll be ready to go in the next game, and so we will be. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. And the hottest ticket today in L.A. will be game two of that series between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. Game one was a stinker for the Dodgers and for future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw. As Moreno a drive deep to left, way back in left field, in the top of the bleachers and left, Gabriel Moreno with a three-run blast, 5 nothing Arizona. Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio, the young guys did damage against Kershaw, old guys did damage against Kershaw. And he lines it out toward left center field. Outman racing over, dives, can't get it. It's by him all the way to the wall. On his way to third is Thomas. They're sending him. The relay throw from Rojas to the plate is offline and sliding in, scoring all the way from first is Thomas on an Evan Longoria RBI double to left center. The final pitching line for Kershaw was pulled after that. One-third of an inning, six runs allowed. The Diamondbacks went on to route the Dodgers 11-2. After the game, Kershaw talked about his performance. Oh, it was just, yeah, just disappointing, uh, embarrassing. You know, I think uh, I just feel like you let everybody down. You know, guys, whole organization that uh, look to you to, you know, pitch well in game one. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just embarrassing, really. Bobby Miller will be pitching against Zach Gallen in Dodger Stadium on Monday night. On Saturday, game one of the series between the Phillies and the Braves. And the Phillies pitching was outstanding. This is the bottom of the fourth inning. The Braves had the bases loaded. Bases loaded, two outs. Harris at the plate. And a 2-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. And the Braves leave him loaded. Hoffman comes in and puts out the fire. And as we go to the fifth, the Phillies lead it one nothing. That, of course, was the voice of the legend, Boog Shambi. It was 1-0 Philadelphia, top of the sixth inning. Bryce Harper came to the plate. The pitch, swing, and a high fly ball drilled. Right field, that one back, and that one is gone! Over the high wall in right, a low hooking line drive, and Bryce Harper has given the Phillies a 2-0 lead. On their way to a 3-0 lead, incredibly. The first time the Braves were shut out in a home game in 2023 is in their first playoff game. Brian Sinker, the Braves manager, talked about the offense. I thought um, Suarez did a really good job of mixing, using all of his pitches, kind of, you know, he, he located his fastball really well. The changeup is really good. I mean, he did a great job. Um, you know, I think that's going to happen, and, and I think it was more their pitching than our hitting. There's so much conversation in this postseason about pitching scripts, and Rob Thompson was asked about his use of the bullpen in game one. Um, well, really didn't have a script, but, you know, just can read the situation and how Ranger was. I thought Ranger was really good. Uh, just thought right there uh, on Ozuna that, you know, we'd stop the momentum and ended up walking Ozuna and, and uh, getting the strikeout on Harris. But 
Uh, and Hoffie's been doing that for us all years, coming in dirty innings and getting out of it. So I just thought that was the time. We're going to have a conversation with Book Chami coming up about pitching scripts. Taylor, what else you got? Plus our new episode of the College Game Day podcast, wrapping up week six. Reese Davis is back with us, uh, joined by his pal Pete Thamel and Ryan McGee. You can check that out where you're listening to this podcast right now or watch it on YouTube. The man. Swing and a high fly ball out towards left field. The voice. That one well struck. The legend. On its way. Chiambi on baseball tonight. And this place is going bananas. Boog Chiambi, the legend. That intro makes me smile every time, Boog. You have Tim Kirkton's intro is is awesome. You know, a couple other guys I love. Dave Schoenfield has an excellent one, but yours is the best. There's no doubt about it. The thing that's funny is I keep forgetting to share with you that I will randomly have people drop legend on me and, and I feel like they're doing it. I feel like it's, it's almost as if you have told them to do it in order to mock me and it still delights me. So <laughs> I, like, I'll get it at Wrigley every once in a while. Um, and just for as you're walking by, someone will just yell out legend. No, not quite like that, but yeah, it's, but it's, uh, I'll get it. I'll get it. All right. Well, you as the legend drew the Ollie Frazier of this year's postseason Phillies and Braves. Yeah. Uh, in this, you know, to, it's too bad. This series is not best of seven. Cause I think right now you can make a case. These are the two best teams in baseball. I walked away. We did, uh, you know, our broadcast group did the Phillies and Marlins. And I walked out of that clubhouse completely soaked in champagne and beer uh, thinking there's no way anybody's beaten this group of players. Tell me what your feel is in this series after watching one game. Ooh, there's so much talent on the field. Um, it's just powerful. And you have, you know, in today's game. So it, let me stop by saying forever. Old baseball people have been saying, you know, the problem today is these players come to the majors too fast. And they've been saying it forever. And they've, that's not been true. And now it's true. So, like, now you have all these young guys that barely have a 1,000 plate appearances in the minors, blah, 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 blah. But you got two teams in the Braves and the Phillies that have a ton of postseason experience. Um, and even the young guys have a lot of postseason experience. And there's just so many weapons on both sides. I would say this. I have to, I have to admit, I think I've, I find Bryce Harper about as compelling as any player in the sport. He, there's something about the way he plays. There's something about the violence to how he swings. There's something about the spotlight that's been on him since he was 16 years old and he's lived up to it. You know, it's, it's, and I don't, and it's not a small thing. And just, he, he's one of those guys that to me still, like, it's the old test. I, we used to say that, you know, when we were doing baseball tonight, like back in the day, like you're walking past the TV and this guy's up, who are you stopping for every time? And Bryce Harper is one of those guys. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's heavyweight matchup. I would tell you that I don't like that it's best of five. I especially don't like um, the way it's set up as far as the off days. Eight days to play five games is antithetical to the way this sport is supposed to be done. And I credit Rob Thompson for the way he managed that game the other day. And I thought it was especially interesting that he told the bullpen guys to go out early. He made sure the position players know he did not tell Ranger Suarez that he was probably going to go with such a short hook. But the bottom line is if they don't have the off day yesterday, he can't do that. And right. so like, that's, I don't like that. I, I like the, I mean, given the set of circumstances, I'm totally cool with it. I'm just saying, come on, man, like let's play it more the way the sport reflects is. how it does during uh, you know six months. You want no it to reflect the, what how they played during the year. Yes. 
So yeah. tell me about your read on the series going forward, because I, I mean, Zach Wheeler. The Blazers are in trouble. Yeah, Zach Wheeler is in such a good, a better position physically than he was a year ago. They, I had to, I talked to Caleb Cotham about this in the Phillies clubhouse the other night about what an amazing job that staff did in preparing this team for the postseason. Six-man rotation through August and September. And now tonight you got the Georgia guy, Zach Wheeler, going out to pitch in Atlanta. He, he, that is a tough uphill uh, ride uh, with Max Fried on the mound. And we really don't know about Max Fried and the impact of that blister, correct? No question. I mean, he, when he threw the last time, he had a Band-Aid on it. Um Oof. I think they feel good about it, but just yeah. because everybody feels good about it doesn't mean, and I would also say this, you know, he, he can pitch great and they can still be in trouble. You know what I mean? It's the, yeah. they're, just, they're in a spot right now. So, um, you know, I think, I mean, it, look, going is, this is a funny one. Somebody asked me before the start of the series, who I'm not changing now, but like, who would I pick? Like I do it with my brain. Like that's just the way I do it. I, I, you know, what's the best argument. And I picked the Braves, but I felt like the Phillies were going to win the series. Yeah. Oh, me too. Well, I, you know, and to put it in the proper context, I picked the Padres to win the world series before the year started. So, you know, Mm -hmm. true transparency, but I picked the Phillies to win the world series. The postseason began Again, because watching that team and the way they were prepared for the postseason, it, it, they just look like a juggernaut that it's going to be hard to slow down. And in part, Boog, and you saw a bit of this the other night, how there's so many great elements to this team. I and mean, we talked about Zach Wheeler. You got Aaron Nola. You have a much better and deeper bullpen than you did last year. Now Stott and Bohm, uh, those young guys of last winter or last offseason or postseason now have all this experience but also they, besides the power, they have the capability of playing this other type of game, and that is to run the bases aggressively. Rob Thompson, going into the in the last weeks before the postseason, got the pitchers together and talked about the small game and about you know limiting opposing uh, runners, and they worked on that. And you know where are you going to throw and how are you going to hold the runners. And he talked to his guys about being being more aggressive on the bases. I think the reason why Trey Turner didn't challenge Ronald Acuna Jr. for the stolen base title was because he was saving his body. Now that we're in October, he's let loose. And it's a whole other part of this team. Seven steals in their first three games of the postseason. Yeah, I think the other component, you know, that it's not small is, you know, when I, it's like when I'm prepping for a game, the first thing that I'm, doing is you just getting like if if it's two teams and I don't know who they are the first thing you know that I'll do to you know if I don't know anything about them I should say where they rank in runs per game where do they rank in on base in slug where do they rank in defense all those things but the thing about it is you know how you're playing as the year goes on and the number that you end up with the number you end up with doesn't always tell the full story. So like, for example, I think the other component with the Phillies with Rojas and center and either Pache or Marsh and left all of a sudden, like that's pretty good outfield defense that they're throwing out there. And like that play the other night that Turner made Stott is certainly, I think that Stott Estrada and Horner will be the gold glove finalists at second base. Harper does a solid job at first. Bohm's made big improvements. And now a team that statistically is a below average group in spots is playing pretty good defense. And the overall numbers don't actually tell you where they are right now. And I think Rob has a great, Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, has a great feel for how to be aggressive in the postseason. Um, And I believe he picked that up from Joe Torre. Look, there was stuff, some stuff about Joe as a manager that I don't think was as good as what people thought. But, man, he he worked aggressively in the postseason. And I think Rob understands that. The base running the other night, for sure. And doing it against, by the way, you know, in Strider, obviously you can run on him, but, like, Sean Murphy's got, you know, not JT Real Muto, but he's got a, you know, top 10 pop time uh, in the big leagues, and they were still able to do it, swiping five, you know. 
Now I know, you know, your game was sort of in, or your game was just before the Dodger game. So you may not even have got a chance to see Clayton Kershaw pitching live the other night, but man, it hurt to watch that, how yep. ugly that was. And I do think as we go forward and the Dodgers are favored to beat the Diamondbacks, but in a sense, Boop, I think the Dodger players are not only playing to extend this, you know, to get moved to uh, beat the Diamondbacks, extend the series to beat Arizona, but they're also ex- trying to, in effect, trying to give Clayton Kershaw another start. That may have been it if they don't uh, extend the series. Yeah, it's sad. I've always, I've always rooted for him. I was surprised um, at the sound and the video that I saw from him before the start, where he was saying, where he was, you know, basically admitting to in the postseason having a fear of failure. Um, and that now it was more like embracing the moment. I also, gosh, he, the first place that I go to when I see him struggle that way is health. Like you wonder, yes, age, et cetera. But like, is he completely healthy is, is my question. They're in some trouble in terms of whether it's this series or next series, do they have enough outs available? Like, you know, are you going to be able to figure out a way to consistently be able to get 27 outs? I think it's going to be, it's going to be hard, but specific to Kershaw. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, they would love to get him back out there, but you know, they got to make sure that they can, they can win this series. Cause they're, they're in, uh, you know, they're in a spot right now. Yeah. And I'm, I think, you're going to know right away about Bobby Miller in game two, you know, like how he commands his fastball. If you see him spraying the ball, you know, arm side, then you're, that's going to tell you that he's feeling a little bit of adrenaline issue. And that, you know, for the Dodgers with a lack of starting pitching, which you just referenced, yeah. that potentially is going to be an issue. All right. Last night, Carlos Correa dominated. <laughs> I, I said on baseball tonight last night that I think Carlos Correa is as well suited. He's this generation's Derek Jeter in terms of not only a comfort level for him playing in the postseason, keeping his heart rate the same as it is during the regular season, but there's an assumption with Carlos that he's going to thrive in October. I always felt that with Derek versus, you know, other guys. So you could feel the adrenaline sort of, and the anxiety sort of just uh, seep off of them. Uh, Carlos is so comfortable. And I think he loves this playing the Astros. Yes. Yeah, I do think he he eats it up. He is uh I mean, he's definitely an alpha presence. Um I think it's, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm with you 100% that he reminds you of Jeter. The funny thing is that his guy growing up was Arod. Um <laughs> and and for Alex at times early in his postseason career, you know, there were seemingly issues as far as, you know, as far as those, those spots, but yeah, Correa is a monster and you're, you're seeing it offensively and defensively on display. There has, you know, I asked Kyle Schwarber the other day, I said, you know, when you're talking about closing in on, you know, 50 postseason games or something like that, at a certain point, do you just sort of yawn? Is it, do you lose the jitters? And he said, no, he said, but it, what, what happens is you still get juiced up, but I, but the stuff that kind of unnerves you that gets ratcheted down in a, in a big way. So there is something, you know, at this point, like I've always said for all the debates, I can remember, I can remember Dan Levitard putting you on the phone with me and we didn't even know each other and, and immediately talking about, Jeter and clutch. And I ultimately think that what the guys who really are clutch, what that means is, and what it was for Jeter is not that they step up in the big moment. It's that they're able to stay themselves. It's that in the the highest pressure, highest level spots, they continue to maintain being the player that they are. And I think I can't remember what I, I, I remember that. Uh, and I can't remember what I said then. It was probably stupid, but I completely am on the same page with you. It's not about raising your game. It's about playing with the same comfort level, the same heart rate. 
Yeah. Derek was always confident. Regular always. season, postseason. Yeah. He assumed that he was going to find a way to beat you. And watching Carlos <laughs> with yeah. all the stuff, man, he loves it. He was saying to a mutual friend of ours uh, before the postseason began with the Twins, uh, hey, this is going to be a, a wild ride. Jump on board. This is going to be fun. Like yeah. he assumes he's going to figure out a way to do it. And what a year he's had where – he has a $350 million deal with the Giants, blows up uh, over concerns about his ankle. Then he pivots, Scott Boris's agent, makes a $315 million deal with the Mets. That deal gets blown up because of the same ankle issues. He winds up getting $200 million with the Twins, significantly less money. I was in the Twins uh, train, spring training camp the day that he arrived last February. And let me tell you, Boog, I mean, he was – all in like from the first day he's like you know what this is where i'm gonna be and it's my job to come here and help these young players get ready and to try to become a championship team and when you you know you you hear that initially you're like lip service okay whatever he's gonna be bored he's playing on a midwest stage Uh uh-uh i mean all the stories about him and the way that he helped pablo lopez and the way that he talks to other players and you could see it in the mound meetings last night that's who he is on this team no question. And he was that, he was that, you know, with the Astros as well. I, there's yes. no, there's no doubt. I mean, you can remember him going out to the mound and, uh, and barking at pitchers, uh, when he was playing shortstop for Houston. And, um, I would also say shout out to Rocco Baldelli. I think that, you know, that's a guy that, that probably, again, because it's Minnesota doesn't get enough attention, but he's, I think he's pretty savvy in terms of understanding culture, leadership, and um, and getting guys to buy in. Yeah, we bumped into our Sunday night group, bumped into Brent Strom, the pitching coach of the Diamondbacks, used to be with the Astros, and he talked about the leadership that the Astros had between Bregman and Correa in the infield in terms of pulling everybody together, getting the pitchers you know, in the right frame of mind, uh, and for Carlos to have that uh, – you know, have that, uh, you know, that reputation as a young player, 24, 25 says a lot about him. All right. Uh, I've saved the conversation about the Orioles because I'm trying to protect my friend Taylor Schwenk on his birthday. Uh, two ugly games for Baltimore. Big time. Yeah. I mean, I, again, you know, let's not forget that this is a Texas lineup that mashed this year, um, you know, and, you know, for, for, the Orioles, you're talking about a younger team. Um, yes. In terms of the, the guys that drive them, a younger team. And, um, you know, again, I don't – it's easy for us to say looking in from the outside, but it's not – you know, it, the one thing it, in the playoffs, if you had your choice, you'd love power, power arms. And they had a couple of them in the back of the bullpen. One of them's gone – but in terms of their starters, they don't have a classic like flamethrower overpower you. And yeah, I think it just, it makes it, it makes it hard and Texas can, can really score. I mean, again, short series, wacky stuff can happen, but it's uh, yeah, they're, they're not in good shape. Yeah. The Rangers drew 11 walks in game two. Some of that was the anxiety of the Orioles pitchers. Some of it was the patience of the Texas Batters, five walks for Corey Seager, the first time that that's ever happened. In game one, we had a big moment when uh, Gunnar Henderson in the ninth inning was thrown out stealing, attempting to steal. I think it was pretty clear when you watched the replay of it that it was a hit and run. I was a little bit surprised after the game that, you know, Aaron Hicks, who missed the sign apparently for the hit and run, just didn't come out and say it. It sort of was this big story, like what happened on that play um, I felt like as a veteran player, he needed to do that. And first off, before Boog, before you get your, uh, your your perspective on that, I want to ask Taylor, when you saw all that, what'd you think? Yeah, he just missed it. it I don't know. It's not a big deal. It's not anything I'm I'm concerned about. Or they, they got way bigger problems than, than him missing the sign, whatever. Nope. Well, I, I would say this. In that moment, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they had opportunities before that, too. And they're trying to tie the game. Yeah. And... And, and, and yeah, I think I had more issue with Hicks just not owning it versus, you know, missing the sign because that happens sometimes. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably lean more towards Taylor. It's like, you know, those little things are, you know, 
angles and things that you're going to focus on. But I, I still think that, you know, it's like with the Braves, they didn't score in the first one. Brian Snicker changed the lineup and everybody was like, man, I don't know if he should have changed the lineup. I mean, the Phillies changed their lineup too. Um, yeah. I, you you got to do the, you got to do the big things, you know? I mean, I was like, bring it up, you know, teams, like teams that out home or the other team, are they eight? No, in the postseason right now. Yeah. Well, and that's you're, you, you've been making that point for years about when we want to break down all the small things, it comes down to hitting home runs in the postseason. It's like you can feel it, right? I mean, you know, the, I was saying it to Dougie on the air the other night. It's one nothing. And I, I said, you, you know, you're just wondering who's going to hit the homer. Yeah. But it breaks open the game. Answer Bryce Harper, you know, like, so, yeah. All right. The last few days have also provided sort of a window into this conversation of uh, you know team scripting out pitching versus managers feeling out their pitchers on the mound in front of them. We had the example the other day in the Toronto Blue Jays playoff game against the Minnesota Twins in which Jose Barrios was taken out after 47 pitches. He'd been throwing well. They bring in Kikuchi, a left-hander. He winds up giving up runs. They lose. There are all kinds of questions in the Toronto media about, you know, was this scripted? Whose decision was this? Was this front office? Was this the manager, John Schneider? Ross Atkins kind of threw gasoline on this whole conversation with his press conference on Saturday when he was asked the question about that. Those meetings are John Schneider's meetings. He has a group of individuals that he prepares with every day. His process routine, his preparation was no different that day. Uh, the group is the staff that's on the field. It's not the front office. I do not attend these meetings, and I certainly do not make those decisions. When that decision occurred, I found out about it when you did. Uh, when you say it was getting warm in the first inning, it was obviously very clear that we had a strategy to potentially deploy. There was no plan to concretely deploy that. John Schneider made that decision to deploy that, and... <clears throat> that that's what that's what occurred. And it was very different in the Rangers game yesterday because Cody Bradford, who during the regular season had a 5-3-0 ERA. He sort of bounced between this role of being a starter, being a reliever. He's a young guy they're working in. And he was throwing great uh, Boog. And uh, Bruce Bochy basically just sat back and watched him and evaluated him from batter to batter to batter. He winds up throwing three and two-thirds innings. What do you think? I think that, you know, it depends on the score and how tight it is, but I, I still would maintain like, look, there's a reason they script this stuff out. And there's a reason that the third time through the order penalty is real. People are funny. They act like it didn't exist. It's always existed. It just wasn't followed. I would say this, in a standard situation, nobody is capable of watching it in real time and decoding it. Like a guy can lose it too quickly. You're not, it's, it can go hit, hit, hit. And you don't see it. And it's too late. I mean, I still would say, I mean, this is going to get people cranky, but like the part that was so funny about the Blake Snell thing was that, you had the exact example happen in his previous start. He had a no-hitter. And it exploded on him. And so they went and did it the way they did it this time. Like, I just, I just think you're, it, it can just happen too fast to, in real time, be able to make sure the reliever is ready and that you have the plan for it. I just, I, it's not, you can't do it. You're not, you can't do it. I, I would push back on you in this regard. I mean, how many times have you. Not the one run game you can't. Well, I, I would say this. Uh, how many times have you and I had conversations with pitchers after the game uh, in which they'll tell you, yeah, I was in the bullpen and you know what? My curveball wasn't working. Like Robert Valdez, like right out of the gate last night, you could tell he didn't have his curveball or his fastball wasn't right. And so and I, there's so many variables into how a pitcher is performing 
that I just can't see that you can come up with a script at two o'clock in the afternoon for a seven o'clock game. And it would necessarily apply once the game starts, which is why I do think there needs to be some feel for it. What I would say to you is this, like, so like, this is the thing that people don't, that they just don't understand. It's just, it's just, it's okay. So it's third time through the order. No matter how the guy is pitching, if you're just like, you can sit there and watch it third time through the order. Who has a better chance to get Mookie bets out your seventh inning guy or the starter. That's not one of the six best starters on the planet. It's a rhetorical question, but from a probability standpoint, the next time Mookie bets comes up, who more like, and you're watching pitcher X deliver this magnificent performance. When you have a guy in the bullpen that throws 98 with a slider at 91, if I'm asking you right now, who do you think has a better chance of getting and like, I understand feel like I understand the, the theory and the idea of what you're saying, but no, your answer every time, like, even though you're watching this thing, that guy out there has the better chance to get Mookie bets. And I'll give you an example that would support your point. Okay. We saw how, uh, Dusty Baker in game four of last year's World Series was trying to nurse Justin Verlander through for five innings to get him his first World Series win. And he had relievers warmed up and ready to go because you tell Verlander didn't have it, right? And Dusty, through his feel and, and his desire to get Verlander that win, hangs with him, he gets the win, and you know that becomes a storyline. Well, last night he tried to do the same thing, and Framber Valdez didn't have very good stuff. And he tried to nurse him through the fifth inning. It cost him a couple of runs and effectively ended any chance the Astros winning, right? Yep. But I, I, I do think that there needs to be a little bit of both. I think you can do a little bit of both. I think like last night, Pablo Lopez has his greatest fastball velocity of his career. He's yes. throwing the heck out of the ball. That's going to affect a script for me a little bit. If you rock a ball daily, if let's say they arguably would have something like that going in the game. Like watching him last night throwing that great changeup to Jordan Alvarez. You but know, like, can I, can I, I know this isn't fair because it's not, it's not, uh, I know it's not fair, but in terms of what you're watching, I guess my point is you can sit there and watch Lopez and, and I'm watching him and he is the best fastball he has. And if you stop the game, at any point in the sixth, in the seventh, whatever batter you want to say, and I said, Buster, who do you think has a better chance of getting the next hitter out, Lopez or Duran? You're going to sit hear, there yes, and tell I mean, me. You're right. Statistically, statistically, it would be Duran. I mean, but like, yeah. Statistically, it would be Duran. But here's another element of it in the postseason where I – feel like, and they, AJ and uh, Adam Wainwright did a nice job of talking about this, you don't always know what the guy coming out of the bullpen is going to do in terms of his adrenaline, his anxiety, handling the moments. We saw that in the Orioles game yesterday. You don't right. always know that. And if I'm watching Pablo Lopez, who looks so comfortable, and let's say, for argument's sake, that the, the Twins had him scripted for five and two-thirds and you're seeing him dominate hitters, yeah, right. you're right. Maybe before the game, you determined that – X reliever is a better matchup. I'm watching that last night. I think you have to honor that too a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the other part is it's just like, you know, it's funny. Craig council said in the, in the brewer series, but like whether you wanted, you know, admit it or not, like starters are not going seven or eight. So part like what happens in the playoffs, the playoffs is about you are going to have to put guys in from your bullpen and they're going to have to do the job. Like that's playoffs. That's it. You know what I mean? Well, and and that uh, what's the saying always been, you went in the postseason with bullpens and bench, right? The old, uh, the old adage. All right. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having a debate with me. I always love uh, love it when we get those conversations going back and forth where we're a little bit on opposite sides of the fence, yeah. but you always hear me. 
I appreciate that. You, I, I, I mean, look, I understand it. And I especially understand it from a fan standpoint when you're watching what you're watching. I do. All right, sir. Legend, have a great call. See you, bud. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Monday? I know, well, I, I already know the answer. You're okay because we're past the, the period of days where there's no baseball. But back-to-back days with no baseball was kind of brutal. Exactly. We baseball today. We baseball yesterday. So I'm doing great. All right. Tell me a player that right now you're totally fascinated by among the remaining teams in the playoffs. Because I got one for you. I, I got one for you, but I'm going to, I want to hear yours. I mean, there's so many, but I'll go with recency bias and go with Carlos Correa. With yes, that's it. We agree. <laughs> I mean, the way he's helping carry the twins, the way he is there saying, I know I did this with the Astros. Here I am doing it with another team, with a team that had not won a playoff game in a record amount of time until this year. My absolute favorite thing he has done this postseason isn't actually an on-field thing, but last night he had three RBI. He passed off Big Poppy and Dirk Jeter on the RBI list all time in the postseason. And postgame, he's talking to Tom Berducci. And Tom Berducci drops that stat. And Carlos Correa goes, wow, I need a second to let that sink in. And then he said like three times, thank you for telling me that. And you and I have both been round players, round coaches, long enough to know them. In that situation, sometimes when you leave with a sack, tell them a sad, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, even yesterday, Mike McDaniel, I know it's the end of but he was asked post-game, yeah, something about the fact that the Dolphins set a record for the most children yards through five games in NFL history, and he did hand like, yeah, that was our goal all year. So sometimes right. using a set is not the best thing. Carlos Correa has such an appreciation of baseball, baseball history. I love the way he appreciates the fact that he had done that. So that is my favorite thing is uh, not the actual play, but the way he interacted with what he has done. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, I've done two E60s on Carlos, went down uh, to Puerto Rico with him, uh, you know, got to know him uh, pretty well, you know, through the years. And he's so smart. His SAT score coming out of high school is close to 1,600. He has such comfort level. I was talking to baseball tonight about how he is this generation, Derek Jeter, that there's not only a comfort level in the postseason, but there's an assumption within him that he's going to thrive in the postseason. And that was cool. And and Carlos knows baseball history. Uh, And what was really cool in that answer to Tom was he was being very deferential to history and how cool this is, you know, passing David Ortiz, passing Derek Jeter. And then I think it was two words and I might not have them exactly right. That also betrayed this incredible confidence that he had in responding to uh, Tom. He said something along the lines of, yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed that I passed them so soon. And like that. So, so early or so soon it was like, yeah, I passed you guys quickly because I'm Carlos Correa, which I love. Absolutely. You remember that part of his answer? Absolutely. And by the way, he's right. I mean, obviously, now we have your third on that RBI list. He's played 83 postseason games in his 63 RBI, or the most for anybody who has played that many games through 83 postseason games. So he's right. He's on the best pace ever, and he's just postseason gray and you know, in so many sports there's so many players that we can think of for those guys who just turn it up when it gets to the playoffs and i think this is his best addition yet because again he was on the aisle he had plantar fasciitis we didn't know what version of him would show up but we should have known which version would show up that's exactly right all right let's play the numbers game number three 
Number three is seven. So we'll also talk about his teammate who uh, on the broadcast yesterday, they were giving a lot of credit to Carlos Correa for helping Pablo Lopez get in shape this year and helping scouting the Astros and so many other things. So Pablo Lopez had a scoreless start yesterday. Seven innings, just so clean, key, so clutch, exactly what they needed. He is the fifth guy in Twins and Senators postseason history with a scoreless start in the postseason of at least seven scoreless innings. Uh, joining Johan Santana, of course, as idol in 2004 in the ALDS, Jack Morris, of course, in 1991, and then in the center side, Earl Whitehill in 1933, and Walter Johnson in 1925. And you and I were texting last night. His uh, fastball vela was up. With 95.8 miles an hour, that was tied with his other start this postseason for the highest in any game of his career. He's become much more of a strikeout and a below pitcher this year, but he has been on another level in October. Number two. Number two is zero. So, you know it takes a lot for me to bring a stat that is potentially interpreted as negative. What it takes is something pretty historic. And we can say this is a shout out to the Phillies. So I can still spend it possibly, but the Phillies shut out the Braves in game one of the NLDS the other day. The Braves became just the third team in baseball history to be shot out in their first game of the postseason after leading the majors in runs per game. The other two teams, the Mariners in 2001 and the Tigers in 1935, they had not been shut out at home all season. And here they are, first game of the postseason being shut out. They were just the fourth team in baseball history to not be shut out at home an entire regular season, and then be shut out at home in that postseason, joined the Mets in 1986 and the Yankees in 1949 and 1942. Number one. Number one is 23. So I love the energy that the Dimebacks have been bringing. I loved everything Troy Lovello had to say yesterday about the team being where that nobody was really picking them. He even talked about how there were people out there saying the playoffs should recede, that the Braves should get the quote-unquote lowly Dimebacks. He was saying, you know, we know this and we're playing well. We're proud of where we are. And I think the nobody believes in us kind of trope is often overplayed in sports, but I think they have a complete right to it, and I love that they're talking about and uh, calling it out. So 23 is for the age of Corbin Carroll, Gabriel Moreno, and Alec Thomas. They've each hit two home runs so far this postseason. They are the second team in postseason history. They have multiple homers from three different players age 23 or younger in a single postseason during the 2015 Cups. We had that from Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, and Jorge Soler. And I feel like those 2015 Cubs, in a way, are great comp for these time back. Everyone was expecting Arizona to be competitive soon. And the 2015 Cubs were kind of one year early. And the Diamondbacks seem to be in that spot. Not to say that they're going to lose, but just to say that it's a really up-and-coming team in a really great spot. So as I said, those three guys, each home run. So that's six. Six home runs from players age 23 or younger are tied for the third most by any team in a single postseason with those 15 Cubs leading the way 11. 2017 Astros next with nine. So all of those teams and the teams they're tied with, which is two teams, the OA Rays and the 2019 Nationals, did that an entire postseason. This team in three games, Howard DS, six home runs from guys that young. So 
It's just really cool to see them being carried by those guys and by the birthday boy from the other day in Evan Longoria. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sarah, I don't know if you heard, uh, but today is Taylor's birthday, by the way. And you I did not her. know that. Happy birthday, Taylor. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> Yay, yeah, awesome. Yeah, as we know, Sarah just loves birthdays. Um, I, I mean, real quick on Kershaw, I'm not going to ask you the legacy question because I have another question I want to ask you, but I, I'm sure that you, like a lot of baseball fans, were the other day had a hard time watching Kershaw in that first inning, yes? I felt so badly. You know, he had this uh, quote the day before in the workout where he basically said, I'd rather fail on the base than not get to be there at all. And I saw that quote, and I quote tweeted it, and I said, my heart hurts. Because as a baseball fan, as someone who roots for the history and the legacy and everything else, I get anxiety watching Clint Kershaw pitch in the postseason because I know where the narrative goes. I know where so many baseball fans go. But I know how incredible he is, how much of a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer he is. And so even just anticipating, I was stressed about, but you saw him out there. And I know they said post-game he would go game four and this and that. To me, it looked like that shoulder really isn't right. And it was just so upsetting to see. Obviously, thrilled for the Dynax, for the show they put on overall but for him i was so sad yeah it uh he, he just his stuff is definitely uh, in that game one star was not there i would say there's some babbit going on a little bit in that first inning but they were they were also hitting him hard there's no doubt about it the question i say for you i'm gonna which i love to put you on the spot you know there was a lot of conversation last night about that trade of luisa rise for pablo lopez and they were saying A.J. Brzezinski and, and Adam Wainwright were talking about how the trade worked out great for both sides. I, I thought about it, and my first instinct was, well, yeah, Arise won the, the batting title, and Pablo Lopez has been terrific. But with the benefit of 2020 hindsight and looking back on it, I think that Pablo Lopez and what he brings to the table in this era, when you don't see starting pitchers consistently go six or seven innings, that to me right now – is more value than what Arise is bringing, which is, yes, a high batting average hitter, puts the ball in play, something that the Marlins, I know Kim, I mean, she made that trade. She was thinking she wanted to hit her. I think Pablo Lopez, as he's evolved, has become more valuable than Luis Arise. What do you think? I mean, I do agree, obviously, it was win-win for both sides, but I, I do see that there can be levels to that. And as we're seeing, I mean, both of these teams were in the postseason. I know Rise was hurt, so maybe it isn't fair to compare. But Pablo has been helping carry the Twins in the yeah. first two starts. He's allowed one run. He has an 071 ERA. And Arise's team, unfortunately, did bow out. Now, it might have been different if he hadn't hurt that ankle down the stretch. It really, truly might have been different. But as we have talked about ad nauseum over the last five years in the postseason, you win when you out homer your opponent. And getting on base, getting base hits, getting singles, very important. But the difference maker is guys coming up and hitting the ball at the ballpark, which is not a rise of the main thing. No. So if you're comparing tonight, yes, I would rather have the guy who's going to go out there and throw seven squirrels against the reigning champs. But I do hope that Arise is fully healthy next year and the Marlins are back in it so we can have a fairer comparison of what those October performances might be. But certainly, I mean, to your point, we don't see guys go deep all that much in the postseason or at all anymore. So the mentality he brings to all of that is really, really valuable. Yeah, I guess to your point, I feel the underlying message from you is, what are you doing comparing these two guys in a trade the day after? (laughs) One guy throws seven scoreless innings. Not fair. Talk about recency (laughs) bias. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. 
Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Monday. I have to uh, say thank you to T. Jones, Ben Flykid, P.K. Steinberg, Ryan Sensenig, Spence, Texas baseball fan. They all checked in on me during game two, um, which I appreciate. Very nice. The Bleacher tweeters. Well, I checked in on you, too. I was yes. just, like feeling like you were so excited for this. And then to just have stinkers like that. Uh, you know, just again, so frustrating. I'm yeah. surprised you weren't a little bit bothered by the whole stolen base thing at the end of uh, at the end of game one more than you are. No, I don't know. He Gunnar Henderson steals bases all the time. You know, I know it was a botched uh, sign or whatever, but, you know, it, it's not like that. Like that play easily could have worked out for them. So and yeah. then they had opportunities in the seventh and the eighth inning. At that point, it's like. You know, I, I didn't I didn't really think they were going to win the game. It, it just it was a close game one. You know, they, they hadn't played all in a week and all these teams law who had the rest, you know, lost in that first game. It was OK. It was game two that just I, I was just pissed and I'm still pissed. My wife maybe will put on my Orioles hat this morning for it because she said you still have to support your team. You can't be that bitter about it. So. Um, well, I'd say this. It did say something about Gunnar Henderson being a good teammate. He's asked about the play after the game. I'm sure he's well aware of the fact that a sign was missed on that play, you know, and he just took all the blame. Mm-hmm. and said, yeah, I, I got thrown out. You know, he essentially, like, I screwed up. I, I, you know, I didn't get it done. There was no point, finger pointing anywhere. He's a good dude. That was pretty cool. Yeah. For a rookie to do that, that's impressive. Yeah. A lot of maturity in that team for, for how young they are. Let's yep. see if they can pull it together on Tuesday. Let's go to the tweets here. Billy Flanagan writes in, I'd like to publicly resend my last testy bleacher tweet, dogging the Rangers about blowing the division on the last day. There you go, Billy. Yeah, Billy, I remember kind of uh-huh. like chastising is too strong of a word, but I remember that tweet going, come on. Come on, dude. <laughs> Billy, publicly <laughs> uptoning. We appreciate it. Taylor Welch writes, and hey, Buster, if the Phillies go up 2-0 against the Braves, should we as Phillies fans be cognizant that Strider starts game three? I don't know. On short rest, I don't think so. They're going to need multiple heroes. My guess is they're going to want Strider on full rest. Uh, they're going to need somebody like an elder to step up and have a great game. We got a couple of uh, Kershaw questions here. Maybe I, well, how about yeah. I read them all and then you can just give me your thoughts. But Jeff is right. Jeff Gurgenti, please help me make sense of Kershaw. How can the best regular season starter of his generation be the worst postseason starter of his generation? Chris at Bergfan 4 with the Saturday start for the Dodgers. Kershaw cemented as is he cemented as the worst great pitcher in postseason history. And Matthew Porto Buster always says he doesn't root for teams only for good things to happen to good people. Kershaw's bad game really stung. There's hardly a better guy in baseball. Can he redeem himself? Um, he could redeem himself to some degree. Like, let's say that the Dodgers move forward, they win the World Series, Kershaw totally dominates, and then he announces his retirement, you know, at the end of the postseason. Yeah, it's possible because they're not dead yet. But I would say this. I think that when someone writes his legacy, writes his history, that's part of the conversation now. He's the mm-hmm. greatest regular season pitcher of all time. Statistically, in terms of uh, the fact that he's dominating in this era, absolutely incredible and you just can't get away from the fact that time and time and time again he struggled in the postseason that's just part of the deal and just hearing Kershaw of the weekend I think he understands that like Clayton's a smart guy and he gets it and those are the results well that bag of money and a Hall of Fame spot should make him feel better he's got a new world well uh, you know it it is always it's going to be there he's going to be asked about it and I, I, I did you, didn't you feel bad for him watching? Of course. This oh night? yeah. Like, yeah. No. Oh, I was kind of covering my eyes a little bit. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely a it's a baseball bummer that he is not better in the postseason because how much yep. fun would that be? Uh, yeah. Noah writes in. I know that Todd and Buster mentioned it on Friday's pod, but these 2023 Phillies remind me of the 2014 and 15 Royals coming back to take the whole thing with a vengeance. And this is from a Pirates fan. No doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned, I think, on the pod with Jeff that the 98 Yankees uh, went on and had that incredible season, 125 wins. After they got knocked out early in the playoffs in 97, they were mad going into the next year. Just being around the Phillies, you see Nick Castellanos giving the finger to his dugout the other day, <laughs> the ring finger. Yeah, That was because of what happened in last year's playoffs. Like, they, they are... Uh, they are so motivated. They're so driven. They're so focused right now. And they got a ton of great players. You agree with me, Taylor? I, I have a, just have a hard time seeing any of these other teams beating them. 
Yeah, they, they certainly look right right now. And even if they lose tonight, you know, they're going back to Philadelphia. They're going to win one of those games. Like, uh, I think that's, yeah. that's certainly on the table. So, you know, I, I, I'd i say worst case for the Phillies right now, they, they got a two to one series lead heading into game four. I mean, if you're the Phillies, most teams would, t- would sign up for that, I think. Uh, yeah, right. And I guess in the Braves case, you know, I, you know, what you're hanging on to is the fact you have that incredible offense. They're capable of putting up a six spot in the first inning tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that would completely change the conversation on the podcast tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I, I would love to overreact to a, to a Braves win. That would be fun. Last yep. one for today. Nolan Scad writes in your conversation with Passon was fascinating regarding Rob Thompson and Aaron Nola and the feel for the game versus the analytics. Do you see a trend toward front offices knowing where to draw the line when it comes to letting managers manage a game conversation? We've had all podcasts. What's the final word? I know. Well, the final word is that it's just going to vary from manager to manager, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's say that David Stearns, uh, the head of baseball operations for the Mets, brings in a young, unproven manager who hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't been in that spot. You know that the front office will dictate a lot of those scripted decisions. (laughs) You just know it. And on the other hand, Chris Young is sitting there saying, hey, I got Bruce Bochy, who's (laughs) as good as anyone in the history of the game in managing a bullpen in my dugout. I'm just going to sit back and let him do his thing. It's definitely it was unnerving watching him pull the strings and just knowing that, like, you know, Hyde's been great, but he can compete with that. That's uh, that's a tough matchup to watch there. All right. Oh, go ahead. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Send them in while you're watching games tonight. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Boog, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. We'll have podcasts all week. we got players lined up uh, to join us during the course this week. A lot of fun and a lot of baseball conversation. Uh, and remember, uh, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day.